listening to the Tune and Talk podcast, episode 24, interview with Jinko Goto. Hello and welcome to the Tune and Talk podcast, your rendezvous for animation interviews brought to you by Fanboy Nation. I am your host, Whitney Grace, and thank you for downloading and listening to episode 24, continuing with our theme of the Ladies of Animation Month. I am interviewing the wonderful Jinko Goto, who is the executive producer on the brand new film, The Little Prince. Which, if you haven't seen the trailers yet, go on and see it because it's fantastic. But before we get into a little bit about Jinko, I want to do a little recap of who we've had on so far. So far we've had Marge Jean and Christy Scanlon, who are co-presidents of the Women in Animation Organization, which is dedicated to promoting not only women, minorities, but anyone who wants to have a more diverse animation industry. And thanks to them, I have been able to have so many wonderful interviewees for this year's Ladies in Animation Month. And I've also had the wonderful Cheryl Henson, who is Jim Henson's wonderful daughter. And she is a big promoter of the puppetry arts. And at the moment, she is currently promoting the the brand new Atlanta Center for the Puppetry Arts, which is located in Atlanta, Georgia. And they have renovated their entire building. And what is fantastic about the brand new Atlanta Center for the Puppetry Arts is they will be having a rotating collection of the Jim Henson Muppets, which are from the personal Jim Henson Family Archives. And it's a great place to not only learn about puppetry, but you know, you get to hand have hands-on experience with it. So head on down there and see that as well. So Jinko Goto began her career in animation in the visual effects department of the animation pipeline. She's worked on such films as Space Jam, uh, Fantasia 2000, and Dinosaur. But she has waltzed into the role of producer for some really popular films that have run the independent circuit when it comes to animation. These I'm referring to as Nine, uh, The Illusionist, and while Escape to Planet Earth had a more commercial release, it just wasn't from one of the major animation studios. She was an associate producer on everyone's favorite Pixar fish film, Finding Nemo, and now she is working as the executive producer on The Little Prince, which will be coming out March 18th, 2016 in the United States. And as I said earlier in this episode, if you have not seen the trailer for The Little Prince, you must go and watch it because it is the most visually stimulating film I have seen in years. Do you know that uh, one scene in Inside Out where joy and sadness go into the abstract part of Riley's mind and literally the they just become abstract pieces of animated art. And that was my favorite scene in the entire movie just because of the artwork and how it was all rendered in CG animation. 
Now, imagine if there was a whole film that is based around a similar concept, but it's, I mean, of course, it's not abstract because we're telling a solid concrete story here, but it has that feeling of, you know, classical, high art, and it's just a visual feast to look at. And I'm calling it an art house film because of just the type of animation being used, but it's going to have a pretty big commercial release, and Jinko is very excited uh, about its production and what it means for animation, not only as an art, but just other possibilities it could mean for potential stories. Now, The Little Prince was written by a French author, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, I know I am butchering that name. French is really not in my wheelhouse. If it was German or Spanish, hey, I could do it a lot better. But forgive me, Antoine, for butchering your name, and may you rest easy in your grave, and I think you will forgive me for that. But moving on, there have been many adaptations of The Little Prince over the years. I grew up watching an anime version of it. I believe it was on Nick Jr. back before it became its own uh, channel. And there have been other animated versions and there was a live action adaptation. But I'm really looking forward to this animated version because, well, it's a great story and it's just going to be fun and exciting to watch. Now, Jinko, she has been in the animation industry even longer before she actually began to work in it. She was enthralled with animation as a child growing up in Japan, and in the interview, she relates a story of how she met the god of anime, Ozama Tezuka, over in Japan. I mean, this guy is... Wow. Uh, if you don't know who Uzama Tezuka is, you got to look him up. Um, she pronounces his name quite differently from what I learned how. So that's another lesson for me in how pronunciation works from place to place. So uh, Jinko is a fantastic person to listen to, not only for her experiences working in the animation industry, but... Well, she's also a very kind person, and she has so many wonderful stories to share. So without further ado, here is the interview. And the introduce on the directed by um, Academy Award-winning Mark Osborne. And I have seen that trailer for that movie a couple times, and I am so amazed by just just the animation quality that you decided to do and what you're going to do with the story, because I'm just salivating at the thought of... Literally salivating, because it looks delicious... Um, I guess that's a kind of a weird metaphor, but it looks delicious enough to eat, and it is just gorgeous, and the story is, ugh, it's one of my favorite stories ever when it comes to children's literature. Well, thanks, Winnie. 
yeah, it was it was a great challenge, um, both on the artistic front and story front, to um, take this you know amazing book that's one of the highest selling books all around the globe. I think it's um, the highest selling book after the Bible um, in terms of sales, and to come up with a story that um, would you know um, would only not just the founders of the book. But people who don't know about the book, especially like in America, where it's not highly read unless you've taken French classes. But um, you know, we, it was important to tell a story that um, attracted both fans and newcomers. So to visualize the book, uh, Mark came up with two techniques, um, which is the real world, and then world is being told in CG animation, and the book itself. Um, is being told in stop motion. Um, stop motion is something that Mark loved to do um, and has done, you know, quite a bit of work when he was at Cal Arts. So it was a great way to, you know, use this medium as part of the storytelling tool. So it's very exciting because you into this into this little girl's world, which is all being told in CG, and then as the girl discovers the book, it's being um, transported into this uh, stop motion medium. How did you get attached to this project? Uh, Mark had asked me to um, get involved uh, a while back, um, and reason being is that you know there's not a whole lot of us um, that work in the independent realm of um, animated movies, and so um, you know Mark was seeking out to find um, producing partners that knew. The knew the importance of the quality of a studio film, but at the same time, you know, did work in the independent realm. We have, you know, lots smaller budgets. So um, he seeked out um, through a common friend, and that's how we met, uh, I think it was about uh, seven years ago. And and then, uh, you know, once the film was financed, was financed with European financing, so he needed a producing partner, then had a EU passport, but as uh, as it became a corporal between Europe and Canada, things changed, and um, he was able to bring me on. So that's how I got involved with the project. Now, The Little Prince has been made into animated films before. Um, I grew up watching the anime on Nickelodeon back in the day. Did you guys uh, watch any of the prior animated pieces related to it? Um, I haven't. I mean, you know, I'm sure Mark has, but I, I haven't because I mean, you know, the, the inspiration has to come from the, the book and the screenplay, not from you know existing um, titles. You know, simply because then, you know when you're making when you're making a film, you know, it's good to see references, but at the same time, um, you know, it's important you know, to come from a place where, you know, you're telling a story. I mean, this isn't based on a TV series. I mean, you know, the film is based on the book, and it was taking the book and adapting the book into the cinema. Mm-hmm. Now, the role of a producer... I mean, we know what a director does, we know what a writer, we know what an animator does, but what does a producer do in the animation process of an animated film? Well, I mean, we work with the director and the team 
Smithsonian story. And, you know, we need to protect the integrity of the project and support the director to make sure the team understands um, what the director's vision is. And uh, part of the job as a producer is to um, protect that and make sure that we do this um, based on the allocated time and budget that we have. Okay, are you able to contribute anything to the creative process? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're there, uh, we're there um, you know, on a day-to-day um, watching the process. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's about um, making sure that if something isn't clear uh, on a fatal level to ask the questions. Um, you know, my job is not to come up with solutions, but to engage in a dialogue where when something isn't clear, when something isn't clear to me, you know, I want to make sure the director is aware of that so that, you know, again, it's about protecting the project. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in the anima- um, in the animation industry overall? Well, um, I've been passionate about animation since I was a little child, and, you know, um, I'll tell you the story um, I must have been five or six years old uh, when I first saw the first animated movie, which was Lady in the Tramp. And I just really saw and loved the whole medium about how you can tell stories that is not live action, but in a fantastical way. And so um, I was really, you know, smitten by that movie. And, and then um, shortly after, I met the creator of Astro Boy, um, Osamu Tezikawa, and um, I had gone to his studio where he was creating Astro Boy, and he showed my sister, uh, who's a little younger than me, and my older cousin, and me the process of animation, and I just fell in love with that whole process, and, and you know, he gave me some cells and background paintings from that series, and I just knew that, you know, this was something I really wanted to do. Wow. So, yeah, so then, you know, you got to kind of go forward, you know, 20-some years later. And um, I was very fortunate um, to have discovered um, computer animation in the very, very early days where, you know, we called it computer graphics because we weren't really animating at that point. And um, so, um, you know, I got involved with computer graphics as a, a computer programmer. And um, worked in that um, for a while, and then um, it allowed me to go to film school, and um, and then um, I think the next thing that happened that really changed things was um, when Roger Rabbit released. You know, we saw that animation was coming back at a different level than we had seen in a long time. So. I just knew that at that point, you know, um, there was going to be an opportunity to be working in animation. And um, several years later, uh, the first film I worked on was Space Jam for Warner Brothers. Yeah, I remember when Space Jam came out, that was, it was a fun movie because we got to see... The Looney Tunes characters interact with. I mean, everyone loves Michael Jordan, and it was it was a fun movie. I still enjoy it to this day. 
unsung Disney masterpiece, I think, animation-wise, uh, Dinosaur. Um, the animation on Dinosaur was breathtaking when it came out. Yeah, and that was and that was probably the still largest, you know, CG animated film. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to um, be head of director of production at Disney uh, at Feature Animation, and we built the studio to do that and brought in a lot of talent from everywhere to make this film. And, and ironically, it's funny because Dinosaur originally, when it was first conceived at Disney, it was going to be a stop motion film. And, um, and so a lot of animators um, that were stop motion animators were hired um, to work on a film. And then I think um, a couple of years in, um, and this was before I got to Disney, um, the studio decided that they wanted to do it as a, as a CG hybrid film. So some of the best animators today in CG animation actually, you know, worked on some of the stop motion animated films like Not Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow. I mean, people on Henry Selleck's team, I, I cannot imagine how that movie would have turned out had it been... Um, a stop motion film. It would have been echoing back to the days of Harry of Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been a very different film if it was um, a stop motion film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you got to work on Finding Nemo. I mean, and then you got to work on some other independent movies that I'm a big fan of. Nine, Illusionist. Um, You've been all over the place when it comes to animation. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. I mean, I left Pixar in 2003, and it's been a very exciting um, time, you know, in animation, because, you know, usually if you're at a big studio, you know, it takes about anywhere from five to seven years to make a movie. So for a producer at a big studio, you know, there's a lot of time between movies, whereas... Um, being in the independent world, um, I've had, you know, lots of great opportunities to work on films um, and, um, you know, get it out to the audience. And, in fact, there's movies I worked on that didn't make it out to the audience as well, you know. So it's, it's a whole different um, world out there, and it's been very exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, Nine is... a uh very different kind of story for you. It, Nine had a kind of a dystopian-like future for it without any humans. What was it like working on that film with a very different story? Not a lot of challenge because, like, like you said, you know, you have, um, you know, characters who are non-human and, and it's post-apocalyptic, you know, and, um, very few lines of dialogue. So it was really all based on um, 
how the characters animated because those characters were also, because it was a lower budget adult, they are very sim- simply designed and simply rigged. But I think the animation team did an amazing job to bring them to life, and I think that was a big challenge, was you know, how do you bring characters to life um, that are very simply designed and who speak very little. Yeah, I found it very, you know, despite the very simple animation, um, I found it to be a very, very expressive film. Yes, yes. I mean, when I say when I say simple, simple animation, I think I look at it and saying it's 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 purposely designed to be simplified. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're not we're not dumbing it down to be, um, um, you know, animation or television. I mean. You know, obviously, this is still a feature, so we want that quality. But the design has to be simplified enough to be able to, to have these characters that were very expressive. Mm-hmm. Now, you go from nine to a traditionally animated movie, The Illusionist. Mm-hmm. Did that present any challenges for you? No, because, you know, what's great about the animation medium is that, you know, you, you pick the technique based on the story you want to tell. And you find the crew based on that technique and storytelling. So, um, you know, working as a producer, there is really no challenge from moving from one medium to another um, as, long as, you have, as long as you've got that artistic leadership and that crew. And, um, you know, so... I enjoyed being able to work on all different kinds of medium because animation is, you know, has ability to, you know, to to tell stories using so many different tools and techniques. So for me, it's very exciting that, you know, I got to work on a, a 2D film uh, with such talented, you know, animators and um, around the globe. Um, the main unit was based out of Scotland and um, then we had team in the UK, in France, and and elsewhere. So that was very exciting. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, to me, France is one of the last holdouts for traditional animation, and I just love seeing whatever comes out of, out of that country next. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, that's what's so great is that, um, you know, we've lost that um, very little of that form is being done here today. Um, and um, and it's unfortunate because I think, you know, traditionally animated films don't commercially do well. So, um, you know, people really shy away here, especially in the U.S., from doing animated features. But um, because, you know, there's... They're just going to be uh, releasing um, Iron Giant again, and that's going to be really cool. Um, I hear that um, they've added some new footage into the film, and I hope, you know, that there's a big audience that goes see that film when it comes out. Yeah. 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 The Iron Giant is one of those unsung classics. Uh, I, it, I wish it had done well at the box office, when it was first released, because I think it could have done so much for animated storytelling then, and it has done... Yeah. Yeah. 
and it has done much for it now, but I think the re-release is just going to do what it should have done all those years ago. Yeah, and also, you know, the market is different also. I think when Iron Giant came out, you know, it was shortly after Space Jam. And, 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 and I think, you know, today, you know, there's so much more product out there that I hope, you know, that will get people to go on to see it. And I think people who are fans of animation and also hopefully, you know, uh, people that didn't know about it when it first came out have now heard about it, so they'll want to go see it. Yeah, and I think they will. And I think that kind of takes you your career a little bit full circle because you're going from a very, very commercially driven product like Space Jam, and you've gotten more and more independent and more artistic as you've as you've grown in the animation industry. And now you're working on a beautiful movie that combines the best of stop motion and CGI and a really classic story. Yes, and I hope, you know, we can make this film successfully, um, a commercially successful because I think, you know, it will open a lot more doors for independent um, animation. Mm-hmm. Now, while we're speaking about opening doors, you are a board member of the women's in, of the women in animation organization, right? Yes, yes, I am. What kind of role do you play in that organization? So, um, because I, I do a lot of work abroad and have done a lot of work abroad over the years, um, when I joined the group, um, one of the things that was very important for women in animation was that. You know, we wanted to be an international organization. So I, I volunteered to head the um, chapters committee uh, where we established chapters around the globe. So we're very proud to say that you know, when we relaunched Women in Animation two summers ago, uh, you know, we were about 150 members, and today we're, over, we're close to 1,200 members. Um, that includes members from... Um, outside of LA, which represents about 25 to 27% of the um, entire membership. And um, we have chapters now that are based in Montreal, Francisco, New York, Paris, and um, Dublin, and lastly, um, Pune in India. And hopefully, you know, we will have more chapters. Um, coming um, in the near future. We're talking to people in Australia. We're talking to people in um, Atlanta um, and uh, Italy and China and Japan, etc. So it's going to be very exciting for us as we grow. And, um, you know, we encourage each chapter to be its own community, meaning that, um, you know, we have a mission statement that we all share globally, but in terms of the needs, each community has a separate need. And what's been great is that, you know, we've been able to share best practices coming out of each chapter from each location and talking about um, what, you know, how women in animation have been able to help them, their community. And that just, that just makes us a much stronger organization as a, a global organization because we can't share those stories. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
I didn't know that um, the women in animation's reach was extending that far. That is fantastic. Yeah, we have a we're very, very. I mean, especially um, proud of the, the French group. Um, we, you know, said by um, Annecy this year, we want to have a thousand members, and and the French um, delegation said they want to be established as a French group by Annecy, which they did. We had a a, a cocktail party um, at Annecy. Well, we had almost 500 people show up, and I believe that the French group, which is not included in the total group now, because they have now um, have gone out to be a separate organization um, as part of the uh, Women's Foundation, but because the financials are kept separately now, um, you know, I believe they've got about 150 members. So, you know, we are really, really growing. Neat. Yeah, I can... <laughs> The, the French, when it comes to animation, comic books, any type of art, you can count on them to always produce and rally around it. Yes. Yes, and that's what's so exciting is that, you know, um, the great thing about France is that they promote this medium at an individual level and us as well at, at um, you know, a studio level. And they allow, you know, people want to create, whether you're an individual artist and make your own shorts or, you know, you're working for big studios. So it's for a small country, it's really a very rich country when it comes to animation. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned India. India, I find to be a very, very fascinating uh, country. I study it on a regular basis and... While I've done a little bit of research on the animation industry in India, I do know that it is a very, that the country is very male-dominated and very, probably more male-dominant um, in the entertainment industry, especially when it comes to animation. There's, what type of um, numbers are you getting there when it comes to women in that industry? Well, so what's very exciting about India was actually with two men who came to us and they wanted to start women in animation in Tuna, India. The reason that these two guys wanted to do this was because they felt the need for women to be um, in the industry. As, you know, there is so much demand for animation in India, especially from a technology standpoint and gaming um, standpoint. So they felt the need to start educating girls at a very early stage and basically at high school before they got into, into university. So um, they built their chapter based on really education, focusing on how to help um, get women to study animation colleges by really um, focusing on high school students, high school girls. And so they've done an amazing job in a very short while. Where, um, in fact, I was on the on with, um, with Vivek, who heads the Pune. Uh, women in animation came this morning, and he was sharing with me that um, that um, three of three of the women um, members or girl members in a women in animation has, had applied for a scholarship um, to attend a university to study animation, and they had made the first round of cuts. Apparently, there's five levels of cuts, 
So, you know, it was very exciting. And I said, well, that's really, really exciting. And hopefully one of them will make it through the whole five steps. And, and, and shortly we'll be able to announce that and share that with everyone. Mm-hmm. What has been some of your experience um, or observations by being a woman in the industry? You know, I have to, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, um, not that I'm just, uh, not that I'm just a woman, and I'm also, of, uh, I'm, you know, I'm Japanese, so I, I'm a minority, but, and I came to this country when I was eight. So, you know, I've always, you know, made sure that I wasn't affected being a minority, um, racially or by gender. And, you know, I did the best that I could and never had, you know, never had the gender factor or the race part stop me from doing what I wanted to do. And so it didn't really occur to me until um, until Christy and Marge approached me um, to join the board on Women in Animation, how, how we haven't, as, as a gender, have advanced, you know. And in fact, I, was, I wasn't even aware of it. And so... Um, What's been fascinating um, and challenging at the same time is that, you know, that, you know, women are held back for many reasons. And, and we've, we've taken a very strategic approach to understand and support because we're an advocacy group. And so, you know, we recognize, you know, women's gender, their needs, and, and, and what, the, what their needs are and how they can contribute. And, you know, we're, at the same time, we're also educating um, the employers. And the irony is, you know, a lot of women do the hiring. And so it's about, you know, it's about empowering people with knowledge. And um, that will also help create change as well as also help women who, who want to succeed to um, be available for them as a resource. Wow. So, yeah. So we have a goal here. Uh, we did a recent study for um, that we presented at Annecy where we did a, a study with schools of how many school, um, women are studying in Annecy today and how um, that is being reflected in the workforce. And we saw that there's a huge discrepancy. So we have a goal called 50-50 by 2025. And our goal is that in 10 years, we want to make sure that uh, half of the workforce are represented in the animation industry by women. So we're out to make that happen. Yeah, it's an ambitious goal, but, you know, harder things have been accomplished in shorter periods of time. It's, you know, and, and without creating that awareness, um, you know, we're not going to reach that goal. And in fact, yesterday I was speaking with someone about this, and 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 this person was a firm believer in having a quota system. And I believe the same thing is that you know, whether it's fundraising or whether it's politics or whether it's you know, um, you know, corporations um, trying to um, make more money, you know, there's a target, right? Mm-hmm. Target. We work towards that target, and we create a plan to get to that target, and we modify our plan as needed, and um, you know that's how we get to that goal. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a I'm a strong believer that um, 
yes, if we want to be there, we will get there. And there is definitely a lot of both uh, women and men supporting our initiative, and uh, we're, you know, we want to make sure we get there. Well, and the and cool, we will. and we will. And what's really cool about what's happening right now is the women and girls in school right now are a generation that has totally grown up with animation. I mean, my generation's already, we've already graduated, but we grew up entirely with the golden age of, you know, the Nickelodeon and and the Disney Renaissance. And that has made us really big fans of uh, the industry. And now an even more diverse, some more, I guess you could say, girl power, action-filled generation is going, to get, is going to grow up with the ambition and the desire. And they're, when, in 10 years, when they're in college, um, a whole new, more people are going to be hiring. Um, I think more women based on just how... The, they're going to be start feeding into the companies too because it's I think a push and a pull kind of system. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of need for animation. You know, as a as a as a medium, um, you know, it's being used everywhere. You know, from whether it's gaming or on websites or TV shows or you know any of that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to grow. Yep. So, um, before we end this interview, I have a couple more questions for you. Go ahead. I am a huge, um, Osamu Tezuka. Uh, I, I guess I'm saying his name wrong. Yeah. yeah. I'm a huge fan of his. How did you score a chance to visit him at his studio? Uh, my father used, uh, my father met him through someone. I don't know the full details of it, but um, that's how um, that's how we met him. Neat. Okay. And now for my last question, it's one sure. I ask of every single person who's ever appeared on the podcast, more or less. And okay. do you miss Jinko Goto? Do you have anything to declare? Um, well, I think I, I, if I was to make a declaration, I would say, you know, we can all make our dreams come true. Sweet. I like that. It's kind of like the, it's mirroring how uh, the Little Prince movie, about how, about not, about growing up, but not forgetting what it's like to retain yeah. your dreams as a kid. Yes. All right. Welcome to the bottom of the Tune and Talk podcast, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jinko Goto. Again, I want to extend my gratitude for Jinko for appearing on the show and for giving me a slice of her time, which I value very much because I know she is a very busy person. And once more, thank you to Fumi Kitahara of the Women in Animation organization for arranging this interview for me. Again, Fumi. As the little green men in Toy Story say, you saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. Yeah, that's not a very good impression, but I'm working on it. So if you are interested in learning more about women in the animation industry or just 
looking for a cool club to join that was made for you and me, uh, check out the Women in Animation organization. Uh, there are some yearly dues, but it's a great networking opportunity, and you can meet some really wonderful people as I have had the experience since I have joined. I'll put information about the Women in Organization over in the show notes, which will be located in one of two places. You can always go to fanboynation.com and click on podcast and then tune and talk, which is me and my show. And uh, the newest show is always listed at the top. And you can always go to tuneintalk.com where, again, the new show is always posted on the front page. And while I'm thinking about it, I should really look for a way to display the old shows in a chronological order. Huh. Well, that is something I am going to have to do in the future. So if you are interested in connecting with me, your host, Whitney Grace, feel free to do it in one of several ways. You can always send me an email at tuneintalk at gmail.com. I love to hear your questions, comments, show suggestions, anything, because I love talking about animation and I love hearing from my listeners. Or you can always hit me up at Twitter, which is at Story Sequence, or the Tune and Talk's specific show handle, which is at Tune and Talk. So basically, anything with tune and talk, come back to me. Uh, let's see. Uh, if you are interested in learning more or communicating with the Women in Animation group, I will post their contact information in the show notes as well. Now, with the holiday season coming up, you are going to be lock, stock, and barrel busy. Uh, Yes, that is a blatant reference to The Nightmare Before Christmas, one of the best holiday Christmas specials to come out of the 1990s, from the mind of Tim Burton through the hands of Henry Selleck. And as the characters in the film are, they are busy making Christmas. Well, another way for you to be making Christmas is doing some holiday shopping. And you can always do your holiday shopping at the world's largest emporium for practically anything and it's all at the reach of your fingertips is amazon.com you can head on over to tunatalk.com slash amazon to get all of your shopping done but if you are looking for something for the animation fan in your life check out Talks animation store which has some items handpicked by me as well as suggested to me And there's books, animation software, anything to make the animation fan or yourself, because I'm sure you're listening to this, you are an animation fan, happy this holiday season. When it comes to the Ladies of Animation Month, I have two more interviews with some pretty cool big names coming up in the next week. And and I might have a third interview if we can arrange it but that guest uh she has been busy with other obligations and she will appear on the show sometime in the future if not the ladies of animation just as a regular tune and talk guest so i hope you are enjoying the ladies of animation month with the entire theme hoping to inspire female animation fans to give a career in animation a thought and just to know that, hey, if you can dream it and you want to do it, well, you can. 
So that brings us to the end of another Tune In Talk episode. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to be writing about shadow puppetry and having to translate more from German. (sighs) I will be translating German for the rest of my life. But alas, I can pronounce German better than I can French. I'll catch you in episode 25, everybody. Mm-hmm.